the ASCO Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton. I'm Rachel Johnson. I'm the CEO of Pixel. And you've got this book, Rachel, uh, that you've written, which is called Time to Think, The Things That Stop Us and How to Deal With Them. Tell us about the title and tell us about the book. So the title came out of a book I'd read called Time to Think, all about listening skills, actually. But then it kind of morphed into the fact that no one has any time to think anymore. (laughs) So we're also busy doing stuff that we don't actually stop and dwell on what we have been doing. And so I thought, actually, what I want to do is create a book and create a space. And we're doing that in Pixel all year, where people can just stop and reflect and think about what they're doing, rather than just carry on as they are at the minute, just doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And looking back sometimes regretfully, actually, about not having stopped earlier. I think what I like about it, and as we know, there are dozens and dozens of books for for leaders out there, is partly it's building on your own experience, partly it's building on your reading, your voracious reader. But I think particularly what you do is to deal with some of the things that nobody ever really talks about. Those You, you don't call them difficult conversations, but nevertheless, that's what they are. Um, so just give us a flavour of some of the different topics you cover and talk also about the format of the book, because it's a very reassuring format, which makes it a very easy read, I think. Yeah, I hope so. I think basically the things that I've struggled with in my own leadership, be it this position or in other positions that I've held since a quite young age, have always been quite basic things. And I've always tried to look for, to find books to cover these basic things and haven't ever really found anywhere. So things like how to say no without causing offence, how to have boundaries and keep to them, how to know what you stand for and what you stand against and what that actually means in a department meeting or an SLT meeting. Things like um, understanding how to have difficult conversations but leave people with their dignity. I don't think that's an easy thing that comes naturally to many of us. Um, Things like understanding how to run meetings in a way where everyone has a voice and a say, even if you're the person at the end who has to make the decision. So I think that's important. And, And also the thing about leadership books, which I love, by the way, is that sometimes you don't need to read 700 pages. You could have read one or two chapters and got the gist. I mean, I, I, I actually come out of most of them wishing they were on one side of A4. It doesn't need to be massive. They don't, do they? So what I wanted to do on this was pack loads into very few pages that would basically be read in an hour and 50 minutes. People would feel productive, have practical ideas, and wouldn't feel guilty for not having actually read the book, which is what happens to many people. So it's split up into four sections. The first bit is why does this matter? The second thing is what is the problem that we find with this? thing the third section is practical ideas of how to address it in reality in everyday life and and school life particularly and then the fourth section is questions that we might want to make the time to think about ourselves and you do reference a whole host of different books as i say you you read a lot but what's quite nice you haven't kind of cut and pasted long chunks from other people you've kind of identified what is the key message from other people are you able just just from memory to talk about what what some of those people might have said Yep, so I quote Kim Scott, Radical Candor, about how to care personally and challenge directly, which is great and I love it. But then I needed um, Susan Scott's model of how to have difficult conversations to kind of link together with that. And that's fine, but if you have no boundaries because you're a people pleaser, then it doesn't really work. So I brought in Emma Reed Terrell, Please Yourself, into that, which is great, but that doesn't really work if you love a bit of drama. So I brought in the Cartman drama, Drama Triangle about how we can avoid getting into drama. And so I think what I've tried to do is kind of build a Lego model, really, of <laughs> taking bits and pieces from people, but weave them together into a narrative that makes sense for school leaders, because these things on their own are great, but the, the problem is each problem leads to a different problem that isn't 
talked about in the original book. So I've tried to kind of patchwork it together um, with my own observations in there as well. And I think the risk of all of that is that what it could do is to feel a bit mechanistic. In other words, here is a formula. If you follow this, then everything will be fine. I think what's striking about it, and it's, it's right from the first chapter when you say um, how to know what you stand for and what you stand against. There's this really strong principle of who are you, what are your values, ethical leadership and all of that. That has always driven you, but it really drives the narrative of the book, it seems to me. Yeah, I think the reason for that is that there's two things I really can't stand. One is that anybody can give a word. You know, we all stand for integrity. You don't find a leader who goes, oh, no, I don't stand for integrity. I want to be dishonest. People don't say that. But it's all very well saying I'm a compassionate leader or honest. But what does that look like in a a meeting? What does that look like when you get a bit frayed around the edges? What does that look like when you've not slept properly? What does that look like when you're under pressure and you're having to dismiss somebody? So it's all very well saying it. But what I'm interested in is how that works itself out in reality and how that feels to other people who you're leading. And so I dwell on that a lot. And at the beginning of the book, I state what I, I define leadership as. And a lot of that is um, almost laugh out loud, I think, in some places because people resonate with it. Like, you know, leaders don't indulge in moods. Nobody should turn up to your office thinking, oh, goodness me, I wonder what mood she's going to be in today. Um, I better choose my moment. Uh, not appropriate, I don't think, in leadership. And that's hard. It's hard to keep control of yourself. And a lot of this book is what I have learned about having to keep control of myself through very difficult circumstances, personal and professional, but not allowing that, as far as I'm able, to leak out so other people are nervous, because that's not, I don't think, good leadership. It's an interesting one, that, because on the one hand, that could be interpreted as when you're a leader, you have to play a part, and therefore the risk is that it's a kind of synthetic thing, and we know that authentic leaders are really, really important. On the other hand, I'd absolutely agree, what you don't want is people thinking, well, she or he is so authentic that what we're going to get is mood swings galore, (laughs) uh, and a, a, a long kind of account of what their problems are, rather than what mine... Oh, I think that, that, that's really good. Who's, who's the book aimed at, do you think? I, well, when I first wrote it, I, I wrote it, I think, to middle leaders, senior leaders who were just perhaps in leadership for the first time. But when I sent it out to a whole range of people who volunteered to read it before publication, uh, head teachers who'd been ahead 25 years started saying things like, um, I wish I'd read this 20 years ago. I wouldn't have made some of the mistakes I've made. Uh, the people-pleasing thing, massively resonating. I think we have a profession full of them. And I think it's never dealt with. And I think people go over and above until it is. They get um, or feel manipulated, get resentful and want to leave. And I think some of what we're seeing now is, is a, a whole generation of teachers and leaders saying, I've had enough now. They've found their no now. Unfortunately for the profession, their no means they're leaving. And I think some of these issues have to be dealt with much earlier. And on widespread kind of um, surveys that I've done with leaders, these things aren't being addressed. And people are saying, certainly the ones who've contacted me are saying, what a relief it is that somebody's saying what actually has been hidden in plain sight now for some time, but perhaps no one's been daring enough to say it. And, and I'll pick up the point about the vulnerability thing. I think it's really important to be vulnerable. I so- totally subscribe to Brenny Brown's vulnerable leadership mm-hmm. um, philosophy. But I think how that displays itself can be misinterpreted. So I think, for example, it's fine to say, I'm really low, I'm having a bad day, I'm really struggling with you know, how I'm leading or what I'm leading. Uh, that's one thing. Taking it out on people because you feel like that is a different thing. 
And so if I do feel on the edge, and I do sometimes feel on the edge and think I'm not in control of myself, I'm, I'm feeling irritable, I either cancel meetings if I need to, or I go and, and take some time out and have a word with myself. What I will not do is allow people to feel the brunt of that because that's not fair. But I will be honest about struggles because I think that is also really important. I, I, I love that. It's, a, it's about a kind of self-discipline, frank, frankly. And just when you talk about people-pleasing, let's just, just drill into what we mean by that. So if I'm a people pleaser I'm someone who isn't prepared to set a really clear sense of, of when I say yes and when I say no right yeah Emma Reed Terrell who wrote a, a quite significant book in my life called please yourself defines people pleasing as follows uh, people pleasing is an act of manipulation when you are trying to control someone else's reaction to you so that you feel better about yourself and when I read that in March, about 2020, sometime in 2020, I vowed that I would never be a people pleaser again, because I was before that. I would say that I'm a recovering people pleaser now. <laughs> I'm in recovery and yeah. I sometimes slip back, but I need to not because I don't actually think people pleasers, in the way I define it in the book, as she defines it, make good leaders because your judgment is not clear because you're so worried what people might think of you. So I think people-pleasing for me is around making sure our behaviours aren't manipulative, that we are wanting to serve people, of course. We want people to be pleased, of course, but we're not making decisions to please them that are actually not good decisions. Rachel, it's a really light read. It's a really deep read as well. You take kind of philosophy, give your philosophy about leadership, and then translate it into what that looks like in practice. And I think lots of people, whether they're stepping into uh, leadership for the first time, whether, like me, they're a kind of grizzled veteran who's been around far too long, um, they will really appreciate it. So thank you so much for the book. Thank you so much, and thank you for reading it. The Ask All Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton.